Hey there dudes and dudettes, and welcome to Extreme Movie Reviews, where the takes are as extreme as literally any product you could have bought in the 90s. It's totally time to set your Tamagotchis down, pick up your pogs off of the floor, sit back and relax for a radical time with your host, Steve. And I'm here to wish you a happy Thanksgiving and share a classic movie with you, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. But first, let's take a look ahead at what I will be reviewing next. December should be right around the corner when this episode gets released. And at this point, I'm not positive. I know Gremlins and Home Alone are both up there for two that I would like to review. I'm hoping to do at least three reviews in December. And I'm thinking of also reviewing the newest version of The Grinch. Um, and recently I found out that I will not be getting my audio mixer anytime soon. So I think given the fact that I know Haley gets really busy around the holidays, we're probably only going to get one more thing recorded this year. So why not be that? I'm sure she would like to do that movie. I think I will also be releasing at least one bonus something holiday related that will also drop in December. What do you think the ratings look like? I will be looking at three different uh, ratings. Two of them will be from Rotten Tomatoes. I'll look at the critic score and the audience score. Rotten Tomatoes is pretty much a thumbs up or a thumbs down. So my guesses will be what percentage of the people gave the movie a thumbs up. And then thirdly, I will be looking at the IMDb rating, which is more like how much do people like the movie. For the Rotten Tomatoes critic score, I'm thinking like it's a simple movie. There's no special effects that really would age it. John Candy and Steve Martin are in it. I just really can't imagine that there are a whole lot of negative reviews for this. So my guess for the critics score is 83%. And with 57 reviews, this movie received a 91% approval rating from the critics. That is awesome. Love to see that. For the audience score, once again, it's a solid movie. I've got to imagine just more lovers of this movie rated it as, you know, like young guns who may not have given it as good of a rating due to its age, may not have cared for it. So I'll go a pinch higher than my critics guess, and I'm going to go with 86%. And with about 183,000 votes, this movie received an 87% approval rating from the audience. Now for that IMDb rating... I mean, there's just really not anything that's over the top about this movie, so I'm not thinking it'll receive super high ratings. I'm probably a notch too high here, but I'm sure I'm close with my guess of 7.7 out of 10. And with nearly 120,000 votes for planes, trains, and automobiles, it is currently sitting on IMDb with a 7.6 rating. God damn. One of these days, I'll guess it right on. I don't think I've done that yet. So, like, do you recommend the movie? So, in this section, I'm just going to talk a little bit about the movie, what my kind of personal rating is, and some sort of recommendation level, or who would I recommend it to. And I would say that this movie is nearly a must-watch. I give it a super high recommend for everyone, really, with 4.2 out of 5 stars. I pretty much love this movie. I almost always watch it like once a year, right around that Thanksgiving time period, uh, especially in recent years since my family is spread out across the United States. This movie is a great reminder to be thankful for your friends and family through the good and the bad. It's also a great reminder that you never know what someone else may be going through in life and to remain open and listen to others with your heart. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is a comedy slash drama, dramedy. Can you guess the length of the movie? If you know me well enough, you would have guessed 90 minutes. And you would be wrong. It's 93 minutes long. It is rated R because of literally one scene where several fuck bombs are dropped. Otherwise, it's very much family friendly. Although young kids probably won't care for it so much, I think you've got to be around 10 years old before you may enjoy it. It has a very positive message, and I think it's beneficial to show to your little ones. It might become something of a memory for them with you later in life. This movie is starring two men who should need no introduction. That would be John Candy and Steve Martin. 
The exact same could be said about the writer, producer, and director, John Hughes. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is a classic, as much of John Hughes' work is, that will definitely continue to withstand the test of time, so long it isn't forgotten about. Let's give the trailer a listen, shall we? During holiday travel, some people get delirious. Some get delayed. And some get Del Griffin. American Light and Fixture, Director of Sales, Shower Curtain Ring Division. Neil Page got all three. I was on my way home to spend a nice holiday with my family. Instead, I'm in a motel bed with a stranger. So instead of Thanksgiving with his family, he's spending three days with the turkey. Two happy clams just whistling down the road. Flintstones, meet the Flintstones, they're the Pictures presents Steve Martin. Ever been to Hawaii? Yeah. You see Don Ho while you were there? See the second show, that's the best one. Is that right? Yeah. John Candy. Why are you holding my hand? Where's your other hand? Between two pillows. Those aren't pillows. In a new film by John Hughes. Plane, train, and automobiles. Hey dude, sorry, it's me again. I was just wondering, could you tell me more about the movie? We start off with the sounds of some planes, some trains, and then some automobiles. Nice creative little start to the movie. The soundtrack abruptly cuts, and we see a man sitting behind a desk, taking his sweet time, looking at some different proofs of an advertisement. Several employees and or board members are around a large table waiting for, you know, some sort of decision. Neil Page, who is played by Steve Martin, looks extremely bored and anxious as the time keeps ticking. He pulls out his plane ticket, which states that his plane departs at 6 p.m. The scene takes almost a minute and a half of essentially pure silence, really putting you into these employees' shoes Luckily, they end it there, and we meet Neil as they leave the room. There are also some nice bits of comedy in that beginning scene. As they leave the office, Neil states, Solid hours of staring at the material, and they still need to reconvene after the holiday? Yikes! The minute and a half that we spent there was already just like pulling teeth. As the elevator doors shut on Neil, his friend and co-worker makes an ominous prediction. Have a good holiday. I'll see you in Chicago, John. You'll never make this in. In a nice, smooth transition, we enter the outdoors and get a big introduction to the hustle and bustle of New York, and Neil makes eye contact with the one and only Kevin Bacon. They each see a lone cab that no one is going for, and we get a nice western movie stare-off between the two, and they make their mad dash to get to the cab. You can't hold Kevin Bacon down. He gets the cab and gives a smug look and a little salute over to Neil before getting into the cab. Neil had tripped over an oversized trunk, which was the cause for him not getting to the cab first, or at least not having a shot to get there. So Neil looks back and he takes notice of all these tacky stickers plastered all over this piece of junk trunk. Neil's in a huge rush, and here comes another cab. I know this is your cab, but I'm desperately late for a plane, and I was wondering if I could appeal to your good nature and ask you to let me have it. I don't have a good nature. Excuse me. Come on! Can I have you $10 for it? Huh. 20 I'll give you $20 for it. While negotiating, we see the cab driver get out, and... Anyone who'd pay $50 for a cab certainly pay 75 Not necessarily. All right, 75 Feet. Close. I'm he packs up that same big tacky trunk. Well, and he drives away. Neil turns around to see the cab is a little ways down the road and he takes chase. He catches up at a red light and opens the door. We see a stunned John Candy whip his head around. This is Del Griffin. Come 
shot. Dell slams the door shut and the taxi driver takes off. Neil's suitcase falls into traffic, getting smushed by a car. It is now 5.58, two minutes before his plane is supposed to depart, and Neil is rushing through the airport to get to his flight. Delayed. Soundtrack cuts, and we transition to his family as his wife and three kids are discussing the upcoming holiday. Grandpa and When the phone rings, keep an eye on your brother. Hello? Who is it? Where are you? Who is it? Neil explains She's his bad. flight will be. Flight delay. And when do you think it'll be in? Shouldn't be any later than 10. I'll wait up for you. He's got a nice wife. A lot of movies would have the wife be upset, but that's not how John Hughes writes his movies. Throughout the entirety of the film, there is a very slight growing concern of hers that something is going on. But she trusts her husband and largely internalizes her concerns, points to writing for not making that some big plot line. It is now 6.58, and Neil is reading his Forbes magazine as he looks directly across from him only to see... Dell, reading a book titled The Canadian Mounted with a scandalous looking girl on the cover. Fun facts. That is not a real book. The same book is also in the movie Deadpool 2, and it's just simply a nod to the actor's home countries. John was a Canadian. Neil looks at Dell with a look of familiarity, but he cannot recall from where, and then it hits him. It's the guy who stole his taxi a couple of hours earlier and we get their first interaction. I know you, don't I? I'm usually very good with names, but I'll be damned if I haven't forgotten yours. You stole my cab. <laughs> I've never saw anything in my life. I hailed a cab on Park Avenue this afternoon, and uh, before I could get in it, you stole it. You're the guy who tried to get my cab. <laughs> I knew I knew you, yeah. You scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> I think it was awfully easy to get a cab during rush hour. Again. Yeah. Well, I can't forget it all. I am sorry. I had no idea that was your cab. Let me make it up to you somehow, huh, please? How about a nice hot dog and a beer? Uh, no thanks. Just a hot dog, then. <laughs> I'm kind of picky about what I eat. Some coffee? No. No? No. Soda? No. Some tea? No. Lifesavers? No. Slurpee? Sir, please. Just let me know. I'm here. <laughs> he knew I knew you. <laughs> Through some simple dialogue and a few visual clues, we get some good insight into each of these men and who they are. Points writing and production design. They get on their delayed flight, and guess who is sitting right next to Dell? We see the weather at O'Hare International Airport. Their destination is picking up and it's getting quite bad. All the flights coming in are canceled. I never did introduce myself. Del Griffin, American Light Fixture, Director of Sales, Shower Curtain Rain Division. I sell shower curtain rings. Best in the world. And you are? I'm Neil Page. Neil Page. Pleased to meet you, Neil Page. So what do you do for a living, Neil Page? Marketing. Marketing. Super. Super. Fabulous. Isn't that nice? Uh, look, I don't want to be rude, but uh, I'm not much of a conversationalist. I'd really like to finish this article. A friend of mine wrote it, so... Don't let me stand in your way, please. Don't let me stand in your way. The last thing I want to be remembered as is an annoying blabbermouth. <laughs> you know, nothing grinds my gears worse than some chowderhead who doesn't know when to keep a big trap shut. Dell takes his shoe off to give his foot a nice massage after a long day. Oh, oh, that feels good. <laughs> I'm telling you. 
my dogs are barking today. Mm. Oh. And there goes the sock. That feels better. Neil's in the middle seat between uh, an elderly gentleman who is now resting his head on him for some sleep. And Dell, who is trying to sleep, and his face is just inches away from Neil's face as well. Six bucks in my right nut says when I'm landing in Chicago. The amount of setting a mood and all these irritating things piling up for Neil is splendid. Points to each aspect of filmmaking as they are all playing a role in doing this and really creating an atmosphere. With a late night call, we find out the plane was diverted and Neil is stuck in Wichita. What's going on, Neil? What's going on is I'm in Wichita. I took off from New York. They closed Chicago and landed here. Damn. Trouble on the home front, huh? I really don't think that's any of your concern. You know, the finest line a man will walk is between success at work and success at home. I got a motto. Like your work, love your wife. Well, I'll remember that. What's the flight situation? Simple. There's no way on earth we're going to get out of here tonight. <laughs> We'd have more luck playing pickup sticks with our butt cheeks than we will get the flight out of here before daybreak. I guess we'll find out soon enough. Yeah, but by the time the airline cancels this flight, which they will sooner or later, you'd have more of a chance to find a three-legged ballerina than you would a hotel room. Yep. You're saying I could be stuck in Wichita? Yep. I'm saying you are stuck in Wichita. Should have listened. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? I'm sorry to announce that we're canceling flight 909 due to severe weather in Chicago. Hi, I'm wondering if you have any rooms available for tonight? Anything, anything. Do you know of any other motel? Should have listened. This is the moment that Neil catches a glimpse of the trunk that caused him to trip and miss that first taxi. Is your trunk? Yeah. You should try lugging this thing around New York City. <laughs> However, he bites his tongue, not saying a word about it. They reach the motel. It's a bit sketchy. We see a prostitute and his, her John, are walking in. I can't guarantee it's a prostitute, but that's the vibe they're giving off. Evening, guys. Shy of being a millionaire. <laughs> Gus, I want you to meet an old friend of mine. This is Neil Page. Neil Gus Mooney. Glad to meet you, Nick. Nice to meet you. Gus, I told my friend here uh, you'd be able to fix him up with a room for tonight. You have a major credit card? They have identical looking credit cards. We get a close up as Neil is handed back the card with Dell's name you on still it. still one of those uh, discount credit cards for the rooms? Yeah, well, I'll have a charge you for a double, but uh, with a discount, it'll come out even. Well, there you go. That's pretty good. We're saving money already. We're a pretty good team. We were on our way to Chicago from New York, and the storm brought us here. I know all about it. I must have half your flight booked in already. Well, I guess you're all fixed. So, uh, there you are. Last group in the comments. You mean sh share? There's only one bed in the room that they are sharing.
awkward. They are both tense, but neither is actually saying anything about it. The music you're hearing in the soundtrack is played every time one of them looks at the bed and the camera focuses on it. Nice touch sound design. These two are such great uh, physical actors and with their face that really helps so much in a movie like this where more often than not what characters are thinking is not actually being said. Right now would be a good time to point out that Neil has had a day. And with every annoyance and obnoxious move that has happened to him, he's, he's holding it in. As Dell and Neil go to bed, they intercut scenes of Neil's wife in a nice quiet room in a big old bed, clearly a little sad that her husband isn't home. While in the meantime, Dell is making every worst sound possible on this double bed that they are sharing. Every man has their own breaking point. Why? Why? If I don't clear my sinuses, I'll snore all night. Gee, if your kid spills his milk, what do you do? Slap him in the head? What? What? What is that supposed to mean? You're not a very tolerant person. You've been under my skin since New York, starting with ripping off my cab. God, you're a tight ass. Aren't you like a mouthful of teeth? Oh, and hostile, too. Nice personality combination. Hostile and intolerant. That's borderline criminal. Screw you. You spill beer all over the bed. You smoke. You, you mess up the bathroom. Well, who let you stay in the room? I even let you pay for it so you wouldn't feel like an intruder, which you most certainly are. Oh, I'm an intruder. Yes, you're an intruder. I was having a perfectly nice trip until you walked into my life. I walked into your life. Who was that who talked my ear off on the plane? Who was that? I'm curious. Well, who told you to book a room? I did, out of the goodness of my dumb old heart. Boy, you're an ungrateful jackass. Well, go ahead, sleep in the lobby, see if I care. I hope you wake up so stiff you can't even move. You're no saint. You've got a free cab, you've got a free room. Someone who'll listen to your boring stories. I mean, didn't you, didn't you notice on the plane when you started talking, eventually I started reading the vomit bag? Didn't that give you some sort of clue, like, hey, maybe this guy's not enjoying it? You know, everything is not an anecdote. You have to discriminate. You choose things that are that are funny or, or mildly amusing or interesting. You're a miracle. Your stories have none of that. They're not even amusing accidentally. Honey, I'd, li I'd like you to meet Dell Griffith. He's got some amusing anecdotes for you. Oh, here's a gun so you can blow your brains out. You'll thank me for it. Dell sits there and takes the personal attacks as you see his anger yeah, turn to any, heartbreak. Any insurance seminar. For days, I could sit there and listen to them go on and on with a big smile on my face. And I'd say, how can you stand it? And I'd say, because I've been with Del Griffith. I can take anything. You know what that'd say? That'd say, I know what you mean. Shower curtain ring guy. It's like going on a date with a chatty Kathy doll. I expect you have a little string on your chest, you know, that I pull out and have to snap back. If I wouldn't pull it out and snap it back, you would. <laughs> By the way, you know, when you're when you're telling these little stories, here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. You wanna hurt me? Go right ahead if it makes you feel any better. I'm an easy target. 
Yeah, you're right. I talk too much. I also listen too much. I could be a cold-hearted cynic like you. But I don't want to hurt people's feelings. Well, you think what you want about me. I'm not changing. I like, I like me. My wife likes me. My customers like me. Because I'm the real article. What you see is what you get. As Dell sits back down on the bed, you see a large framed photograph on the side table. It's of his wife. He tucks himself back into the sheets and then Neil looks over at him and there's a moment of insecurity that we see visually as Dell turns around to see if Neil is leaving the room or staying. He still wants the company, even after that brutal bashing that Neil gave him. Neil stays and gets back in the bed for the night without saying a word. With that, we have really set up our characters, and the first act is coming to a conclusion. They're two very different people for sure. One is uptight, and the other is obnoxious. Neither is a bad person. While they are sleeping, a thief breaks into their room and steals their money. Can you take a gander as to what position the two are in when we come back to them in the morning? Both still in that mostly asleep state with big smiles on as Dell is big spooning Neil. Neil's hand holding Dell's while Dell gives him a couple pecks on his cheek. Neil realizes he is not at home in bed with his wife. find a train ride to Chicago. They realize that they've been robbed, all their cash is gone. The two can't get seats together on the train, so they say their goodbyes, and Neil is beyond happy to be on his way home in time for the holiday. He gets a moment of relaxation for the first time in who knows how long.
everyone has to get off the train out in the middle of nowhere. better half of Neil kicks in as he contemplates helping Dell out with that big trunk as he's already struggling with it out in this like cornfield with a mile and a half, three mile hike ahead of him. They have to take the bus now, not as relaxing as the train was, and it will only get them to St. Louis instead of Chicago. Some time passes and the bus is all getting along noisily. Who's got a song? I got one. Uh, you got one. Neil Patrick's got one. Three coins in a fountain. Each one seeking happiness. Seeking happiness. This just isn't his crowd. Flintstones, meet the Flintstones and a Martin's family. They've reached St. Louis. Dell is selling his ass off. Shower curtain rings for everyone. The two grab a bite to eat. You call what? Hold on, this home. Probably my daughter's Thanksgiving pageant. Mm. You missed it. I'm sorry. Those, those are the precious moments, still. They don't come back again. I've been spending too much time away from home. I've been home in years. What, seriously? No, it's a figure of speech. You know, I'm on the road so much, it's like not being there yet. By the way- Deflection. Neil decides to break up with Dell, and he says that they'll get further if they travel on their own. As a team, things just aren't working out for them. Okay. I see. This doesn't go over Dell's head. He knows exactly what just happened. You can see a moment of sadness on his face. I think uh, I'm just gonna take care of this and I think I'm gonna get going. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's fine. That's, you know, it's just harder for two people to yeah. travel, you know? Yeah, yeah, sure is. And if you've got reservations? Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. Thanks. Yeah, okay. Just Sorry. wonderful acting. And uh, I raised so much to. Uh, no, 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 no. Neil feels bad about that. Once again, told in the facial expression. They each rent their own vehicle. Neil's car rental spot is empty, and the bus that just dropped them off at the car lot from the airport has left. Nothing is going right for Neil. He makes the hike back to the airport. Oh, gee, Marie, you're a stitch. <laughs> Oh, Mom's gonna do the turkey. Yeah, Dad wants ambrosia, so I guess we gotta get those miniature marshmallows. And I'll do the crescent rolls, and you do the cranberry. You know I can't cook. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> yeah, well, I'll see you tomorrow then. Gobble, gobble. looks a bit disheveled. Welcome to Marathon. May I help you? Yes. How may I help you? You can start by wiping that fucking dumbass smile off your rosy fucking cheeks. Then you can give me a fucking automobile, a fucking Datsun, a fucking Toyota, a fucking Mustang, a fucking Buick, four fucking wheels and a seat. 
I really don't care for the way you're speaking to me. And I really don't care for the way your company left me in the middle of fucking nowhere with fucking keys to a fucking car that isn't fucking there. And I really didn't care to fucking walk down a fucking highway and across a fucking runway to get back here to have you smile at my fucking face. I want a fucking car right fucking May I see your rental agreement? I threw it away. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, what? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you turn a PG, maybe PG-13, movie into an R-rated movie. After Neil gets punched out by a taxi agent falling into the street, Dell slams on his brakes just in time not to run Neil over. The crew is back together again. You know, I had a feeling when we parted ways, somehow, someday, our paths would cross again. Are you all right? I've never seen a guy get picked up by his testicles before. Lucky thing for you, that cop path by we did. Otherwise, you'd be looking up your schnuts to tie your shoes. <laughs> Do you have any idea how glad I am I didn't kill you? Do you have any idea how glad I'd be if you had? Oh, come on, pal. You don't mean that. Remember what I said about going with the flow? How am I supposed to go with the flow when the rental car agency leaves me in a hundred-acre parking lot with keys to a car that isn't there, and then I have to hike three miles back to find out they don't have any more cars? I got a car, no sweat at all. You don't hear a charm with me. Nope. And we're traveling by car now. Things are off to a rough start as they bicker for hours and hours, or maybe not hours, but they bicker for some time until Neil is finally ready for a nice nap. Put in my wallet in the glove compartment. Don't let me forget. Rock on, John. but just flew back into the back seat of the car and it, it's still lit. It's getting warm in there, so Dell decides to take his coat off. Oh god, it's stuck on something. Oh Christ. Keep control of the car, Dell. You're swerving all over the place again.
it was a close call. Oh boy. Safe landing. What's happening? Oh, we, we almost hit a deer, that's all. Are you alright? Yes, I'm fine. Yes, I'm fine. It's getting pretty hot in here. You ought to take your park off. Yes. Yes, I will. Oh my god. No. Dell, you're going the wrong way on the highway. More hilarity ensues as we see a little smoke coming from the back of the car. And we've seen two semis traveling in the, you know, correct direction, but the opposite direction of them, side by side, on a two-lane highway. Near-death experiences are great. They made it through all as well. Just a little damage to the side mirrors is all, really. They pull over to gather up the luggage and inspect the damage. Well, this isn't so bad. Yeah, I thought it'd be a lot worse than this. They'll be able to buff this out, no problem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, sure. Whatever you say, Del. I mean, that was close. <laughs> we can laugh about it now. We're all right, you know. <laughs> the whole Once again, Neil sucks it up, and he keeps his mouth shut. Maybe we should just get my stuff off the road, huh? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a good idea. There seems to be a flickering light coming from behind them. Yeah, they aren't getting anywhere in that car anymore. She's completely up in flames. What? What? You finally did it to yourself. I mean, good luck turning the car. <laughs> They're going to be happy as pigs and shit to see you. Remember at the hotel when their cards got swapped, and another detail when Neil demands that Dell give him his card back, Neil reveals that he can't do that anymore, because he already did. He put it back in Neil's wallet earlier. Do you remember where Neil's wallet is now? Yep, in the glove compartment of the car that is currently up in flames. Luckily we are in movie land, so the vehicle still does work, although it's very warm. They drive to a motel, and Neil barters a room for himself. He's really just not having it anymore with Dell. Everyone has their own breaking point. Dell does not have the goods to barter for a room of his own, however. Mm. I'm gonna have to say goodnight. Neil attempts to call home, but he doesn't have the money to be able to afford to make a call. into the vehicle that has no protection from the elements and there's snow falling. It's clearly cold outside. Well, Marie, once again, my dear, you are as right as red. I am, without a doubt, the biggest pain in the butt that ever came down the pike. 
meet someone whose company I really enjoy. takes a peek outside and he sees that Dell is huddled up doing his best to stay warm in the vehicle. I wish you were here with me right now. But I guess that's not gonna happen. Not now anyway. Of course, he invites Dell into his room instead of leaving him to freeze. Neil's not a monster. They are relaxing and chatting while they indulge in the many bottles of liquor. You know what? I'm dead and buried. All I'm gonna have around here to prove that I was here was some shower curtain rings that didn't fall down. Great legacy, huh? At the very least, the absolute minimum. Got a woman you love to grow old with, right? You love her, don't you? Love is not a big enough word. It's not a big enough word for how I feel about my wife. To the wives. To the wives! Time for bed. They keep chatting, and then they even say as much. They are acting like kids at summer camp as they get some relief, and they laugh about all the terrible things that they have happened to go through in this past couple of days, I'm going to assume. Yeah, probably a couple of days. They leave in the morning, but without a speedometer, they wind up getting pulled over for speeding. The vehicle is considered not safe for highway traffic. I can vouch for that. It is not. Shit out of luck again. However, for the 100th time, Dell figures it out. This guy knows how to get places. They get a nice, comfortable seat in the back of a refrigerated trailer. You know, you're going to be in Chicago in less than three hours around there. We don't have any traffic, and I don't think we should. It's Thanksgiving. Dell did it. They made it to Chicago. They split ways as Neil hops on to the Chicago L, which stands for elevated, so it's an elevated train system. Neil takes a big sigh of relief as the train gets on its way. We then see Dell standing at the platform with a slight look of sadness as he looks past the camera, and after a crane shot of him there alone, the music kicks in, and we are back in the train with Neil as a montage of his thoughts begin. He sees each of his children's faces, the delicious food his wife must be prepping at the moment at home, his wife's face as he sits across the table from her to eat that food. And we keep looping back to him on the train between these images, and we see this big smile come across his face as all of these thoughts are flooding him. He looks out of the train for a moment and he starts laughing as he thinks back on all those horrible but funny and great moments that he shared with Dal. And then he gets a bit more serious.
he's realized something. at the platform and Neil goes inside the train station Dell is just sitting there all alone are walking down the road, each of them holding the side of that trunk, and they get to Neil's house together. think he was going to be making it so she's relieved when she hears his voice from upstairs about wishing that he had his wife around still to a smile as he sees husband and wife embrace and the movie just ends on that smile that big old smile John Candy What's your favorite scene, dudes? This entire movie really builds up to one moment, and that's when Neil realizes the truth about Dell's wife. The entire conclusion from when they part ways at the train platform to the end of the movie is my favorite part of this movie. There are so many great comedic moments all along the way of the entire movie, but the emotional payoff at the end is what makes this movie a classic. How John Hughes thrives. Thrived. That was totally dope. What do you say that we get down in technical, if you know what I mean? Let's start off with looking at the writing. The negative. There are plenty of plot conveniences, a few plot holes, and even a continuity error or two throughout the movie. 
Nothing big. Just quite a few of them overall. The thing is that if they took the time to explain every little detail, the movie would drag on for like at least another 20 minutes. Or it would just be filled with, you know, all this nonsense that doesn't really matter. A little note here. In film, there is a certain amount of a suspension of disbelief that you can get away with that filmmakers prosper on. And what that is, is suspension of disbelief is an audience's willingness to believe something for the sake of enjoyment. They do not go too far in this movie. It's just minor things. So minor tick to the score overall. But, um, you know, I'd say that suspension of disbelief is almost necessary, especially in a movie like this, to uh, for the pacing. So, yeah. The first act is great. There's a clear start to the second act. However, I feel that there isn't much of a moment from the second to the third act. It's more like several moments. The third act ultimately is very short. That said, simple stories don't always need some big conclusion. Some positives. The juxtaposition between the main characters is great. I've talked about the characterization in my walkthrough. That was done incredibly well. Um, it's a great script. The dialogue is great. The delivery of that dialogue is even better. The plot is what it is. There's really hardly any exposition, thanks to great acting. The pacing is great. I don't know that there is a single joke that doesn't land. That doesn't mean that they're all ball busters, but nothing that like falls flat. So, 8.8 out of 10 for the writing. Cinematography, there's a lot of good establishing shots used in the movie. Um, the filming is simple, but they do use a few film techniques properly throughout the movie. All in all, they employed the KISS method while using film techniques to help, uh, to help keep the mood of the movie proper. I don't have much to say on it. It's nicely done. It's professionally done. 7.25 out of 10. Acting. I think we know how I feel about the main actor's performances, and they are about 98% of the movie. There is zero issue with anyone else's acting in the movie. It's all great. And even the physical acting, or, you know, like all the facial expressions, it really goes beyond just the performances from Steve and John. It, all the other characters in the movie also have an ability to use their faces in acting. I don't know that I can think of a single flaw or a single way the acting could have been better. 10 out of 10. I don't know how many 10 out of 10s you'll get from me, but 10 out of 10. Production design. Good. Great. Great. Very good. Excellent. In that order. Uh, there's very, very few issues. Ultimately, was it the toughest movie to do? Probably not. But 8.7 out of 10. Everything is above par from the set designs to the locations to little details that help the audience feel the mood and understand the characters better. Sound design. Is it award-winning? No. Does it all work really well? Yes. The audio mixing is very good. Not perfect, but nothing really you know, bad comes to mind. The music always fits the moment, and once again, it adds to the atmosphere and the mood that they want us to feel. The score works similarly. 7.9 out of 10. When comparing this movie to all comedies, or could we say dramedies even, but this movie is about 95% comedy. The comedy, the, the drama really just comes in right at the end. So let's just compare it to all comedies. Um, 8.1 out of 10, and that is largely due to the acting. Uh, there's a lot of subtle humor, not so much big slapstick, laugh-out-loud stuff. Then, of course, you have the conclusion, which makes it a classic. Yeah, I'm going to stick with that. 8.1 out of 10, it's pretty perfect, but there's... Definitely a list of movies that I could rank ahead of this movie for one reason or another. Whether that's for technical reasons, enjoyment reasons, or because of them being funnier. My total enjoyment factor. 
I like the short bits of home life that we get throughout the movie. It really helps to keep that holiday tone so you kind of don't forget about that. You know, as a watch this movie once around the Thanksgiving holiday kind of movie, I'll give it 8.5 out of 10 for enjoyment. It's an easy watch. There's really no fat on the movie, and it has a good message that comes in right near the end. Other than that, it's a fun ride. So let's recap for my official score. Writing, 8.8. Cinematography, 7.25. Acting, 10. Production design, 8.7. Sound design, 7.9. In comparison to all comedy, 8.1. Enjoyment factor, 8.5. We add those up, divide them by a random ass number, and... My podcast's official rating of planes, trains, and automobiles is 8.464 out of 10. Do you think the fans and the critics gave it some props reviews or what? Let's do one negative review and then look at a few positive ones. From top critic J.R. Jones of Chicago Reader, they said, Pretty dispensable. Disagree. From critic Caffeinated Clint of Movie Hole, With a 4 out of 5 rating, Clint says, One of John Hughes' finest hours and a tour de force for Candy and Martin. Yeah, they do amazing. Let's finish off the critics' reviews with the main man, the legend, Roger Ebert, who wrote this for the Chicago Sun-Times. The movies that last, the ones we return to, don't always have lofty themes or Byzantine complexities. Sometimes they last because they are arrows straight to the heart. Said it better than I did. I'll I'll get there. I'll get to Roger Ebert level someday. (laughs) Now, let's look at some of the audience reviews. With four and a half stars out of five, Tom M. says, This movie was a perfect comedy. It had the big laughs, the cleverness, and it even had some real emotions, which is something I don't often see in comedy. Overall, this movie is pretty much perfect apart from a weak opening scene that didn't set up the movie properly. I disagree. That whole opening scene is all about setting up all these annoyances and, and to get us into the shoes of Steve Martin's character and what he's going through. Disagree. I know it's not an interesting opening scene, but it's a, it's a good one. The majority of the reviews are 4 out of 5 stars. Not many middle of the rotors, and obviously not a whole lot of negative ones either. Let's take a look at one of those negative ones, however, and then finish off on a positive note. With 1 out of 5 stars, Fred G says, A solemn diagnosis from the doctor would be more humorous. Not sure how people think this is funny. Mechanical objects continuously break down and a guy sticking his head between other man's butt cheeks. Wow, that's hilarious. Whatever. John, what's your name? Fred. Fuck you, Fred. There are several of them talking about this being a Thanksgiving classic with their families that I see around, so glad to see I'm not alone on that. All right, Adam B. has something to say. With five out of five stars, Adam says, I disregard the critics when I have uh, to get an idea for how good a movie is. I look at the audience score, fairly embarrassed to admit that in this case, given the critics actually gave this movie a better rating than the audience, I missed this movie for a long time. It is absolutely on my Mount Rushmore of comedies. John Candy is a comedic genius, and there couldn't be a movie that could play more to that fact. If you are seeing this comment and deciding if you want to watch this movie, for the love of God, watch it. Agreed, Adam. Agreed. It's time for some totally tubular facts! Uh, I don't know where this fact um, came from, but I wonder if it's true. Apparently, this is John Candy and Steve Martin's favorite film of their own. John Hughes, in an interview on the Those Aren't Pillows DVD, said he was inspired to write the film's story after an actual flight he was on from New York to Chicago. The flight was diverted to Wichita, Kansas, taking him five days to get home. 
The movie ends with a freeze frame of John Candy with a tight-lipped grin, that big smile I was talking about. Uncle Buck, a movie from 1989 with John Candy in it, ends the exact same way, on a freeze frame of John Candy with the same expression. I know that one's right. And also, that is a great movie. Uncle Buck is excellent. Give it a watch if you've never seen it or heard of it. I somehow missed that throughout my childhood. And I don't know how. John Hughes shot over 600,000 feet, 180,000 meters of film, almost twice the industry average. The rumored three-hour version of the film does indeed exist, although not in order. Moreover, it's a mess of footage that would take months, maybe even years, according to Hughes, to transition into an actual film. It is locked away in a Paramount vault, and according to Hughes, most of it has probably deteriorated by now. Isn't the whole point of the vault to help prevent deterioration? This movie is cons- is on Roger Ebert's list, Roger Ebert's great movies. And I did not know that before I decided to include Roger Ebert's review. So, cool. I would like to leave this on a sweet and somber note for the late, great John Candy. So, final fact here, and then we're done. Steve Martin talked in an interview about his late co-star John Candy and his similarities with the character of Dal. Well, he was a very sweet guy. Very sweet. And complicated. And so, he was always friendly, always outgoing, and you know, funny and nice and polite. But I could tell you, he had a kind of little broken heart inside of him too. Rest in peace, Mr. Candy. The world misses you.